Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel Open Mic Friday on this January the 8th in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we got live back on KFUO after about a week vacation yesterday with Wes Reimnitz. Uh, By the way, since we're not in the studio, you can't phone me, but you can contact me by using our email address, lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com, and ask any question, and we'll attempt to answer it on Open Mic Fridays. So here we have an email. Good day to you, Pastor. I have been listening to your program for a while now, and I've really learned a lot about the proper distinctions between law and gospel. Like Walther says in his book, it is easy to learn the distinction academically, but difficult to understand and apply it to your life. Your show has really helped me in this regard. Now, what is the person talking about here? It's one thing to understand what a passage is saying. It's quite another thing to apply it to you. And that's what a sermon does. It may start off with an interpretation of the passage saying, this is what it is saying, but then it moves to the application of the passage. So let's kind of use an example of that. You've got Luke 15, with the parable of the lost sheep. It's pretty easy to interpret what it is saying. Namely, a sheep gets lost, the shepherd goes out, finds the sheep, puts it on his shoulders, and carries it home. That's what the text is saying. But how do you apply it to members of the congregation? I've heard one application, and it says, we too need to go out and find lost sheep. That's how we bring them into the church, by telling them about Jesus Christ, and in a sense, putting them on our shoulders and bringing them to church. Now, see, that's an application that sounds like it could be correct, but it is not. Because the parable of the lost sheep is not about you and me bringing people into Christianity, but how Jesus Christ brought you into Christianity. You were a lost sheep. Jesus found you. He picked you up and with joy carried you home. Now, how do we get those different interpretations? We permit scripture to interpret scripture. If you take a look at the book of Hebrews, the word joy is found there. For the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame and he went the way of the cross. You see, Jesus had joy on the way to the cross because he knew he was fulfilling the Father's will and was going to be able to say from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. 
the, the cross application is that Jesus took upon himself willingly the punishment for our sins. And therefore, the Luke 15 passage about the lost sheep is best applied when we realize Jesus is the shepherd, we are the lost sheep, and he saved us. All right. The email goes on speaking of a specific passage in the Bible. The question that I would like you to help me answer from a law gospel perspective comes from the text in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. God commands Adam that he is free to eat of any tree in the garden, but must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God goes on to say that the day that Adam eats of this tree, he will surely die. My question is, should this be taken as a law passage to Adam? To me, it clearly outlines to Adam something that he must not do and the consequences of disobeying. However, since this is before the fall and sin, I'm not sure how I can understand this commandment. Maybe this has nothing to do with the law, but I definitely need some clarification. I know the law was established to curb sin and to show us our need for a savior. So how should we understand this commandment from God? That's a very good question, because if the law is to show us our sin, how can God be giving law in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall into sin? Well, a careful reading of this email indicates that the writer understands the law was established to curb sin and to show us our need for a savior. Those are the first and second uses that God makes of the law. But there is a third use, and that third use is simply information about God's will for our lives. So, when we take somebody through catechism, youth or adult catechism, and we go through the commandments, they can be understood as these are the will of God as to how we should behave as Christians. The problem is we are in a sinful world, and therefore the more we attempt to obey these commandments, the more difficult it becomes to obey them properly because God looks at our motivation. So a lot of times, the third use of the law is information as to the will of God, but it can lead to the second use of the law where we therefore disobey God's command. So God's command is a wonderful command and it often can mean this is his will. T take a look at the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus does, he says, you know, you've heard it said of old, thou shalt not kill. But I say, 
that even if you have a bad thought or a bad word against someone, that is committing murder. So therefore, the Christian would want to not do any of these things by thought, word, or deed. Now, when you get to heaven, you will have a new body and you'll have a new spirit where you will be like back in the Garden of Eden prior to the fall. In other words, you will know what God's commands are as to how to live in heaven, and you will have no problem doing them because of the faith that you have been given and the fact that you are in heaven with Jesus. So I don't have any problem with God telling us his will, uh, even in the Garden of Eden, and indicating that there are certain things, if we do wrong, we can have a problem. But Adam and Eve, because of their desire to become like God, decided to listen to the devil in the form of a serpent rather than God and partake of the fruit from that tree which they were told not to eat. And in doing so, they rebelled against God, and all of a sudden what had been a third use of the law, namely, this is my desire for you to follow, became a second use of the law, and they were therefore thrown out of the Garden of Eden and pain in childbirth and work in the fields then became their new vocation. So it's not wrong for God to give the law in the Garden of Eden because there will be laws in heaven, but we will love to follow them because of our new bodies and our new spirit. Okay, next email. A person went to jury duty. During jury duty, two Jehovah Witness men stated to the judge that they could not stand in judgment of another man, meaning they were unable to sit on the jury and requested to be excused from duty. My second question to you, do you as a pastor think this is good advice to give to a member of your church or any church for that matter. Perhaps is this a separation of church and state? Now, what the Jehovah Witness men were saying is that they did not want to partake in becoming a member of the jury because they did not want to stand in judgment of another man. Here's a good example where you need to use the distinctions between law and gospel. Because the Bible certainly does give indication that we should not judge other people. But what is it talking about? Well, part of the distinction between law and gospel is in what kingdom is God speaking? And to a degree, as the letter writer says, it does have something to do with the distinction between church and state. As a Christian, and even as a pastor, I'm not permitted 
to judge someone that they are going to hell. What? I, I thought pastors do excommunication. Excommunication is a right, R-I-T-E, given to the church by God to wake up a person who is living a life of unrepentance because you cannot be unrepentant of an obvious sin and take the Lord's Supper. Remember how before every Lord's Supper, we confess that we are poor, miserable sinners, deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. It is that confession to which is responded the words of absolution that you are forgiven your sins. And the pastor doesn't do it on his power and authority, but on the basis of the authority given to him by Jesus, that he's speaking the words of Jesus to a person who is repentant. So I can't say, let's find out I go to prison and there's somebody who robbed a bank. If I look at that person and say, well, you are not going to be saved. That would be wrong. That is a judgment. Because whatever you judge a person by, that's what you want to be judged by. What we're not allowed to do is make a judgment about whether somebody is going to heaven or hell on the basis of their works. Now, there's no doubt that somebody who dies in unbelief would not be going to heaven. But you have no understanding, even as a pastor, about the heart of an individual who seems to be doing crimes and not being repentant of them. So when we excommunicated individuals at the church I attended, there were about six to eight of them, we did not say, well, if that person dies, he's definitely going to hell. Because you don't know what the attitude of his heart is. We are not able to judge in the sense of who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. That is a decision that God makes because he can read the hearts. We cannot. Who knows how many times somebody comes to faith just before they die. Pastors will tell you that when we were able to visit people in the hospital, today it's more difficult uh, because of the virus, that we would have a little devotion with our member and maybe a prayer. But there were other patients in the same room, in other beds, and they would hear us. And it wasn't unusual that another patient would say, Pastor, would you say a prayer for me? I don't go to church. I don't know if I believe in Jesus, but that was very helpful to hear. And so you, you go over to that bed and you give a little devotion and a prayer. Who knows whether the heart of that person is going to be changed and the Holy Spirit give them faith. That person may die that night, but if they have faith 
in Jesus Christ as their Savior by hearing the Bible studies and also in the prayer, hearing the good news of the gospel, those people are going to be saved. So what you are asked to do in a jury is not to judge someone in the spiritual field as to whether they're going to hell or not. No, it's to make a decision whether they are guilty of a temporal crime. Yeah, I don't know of any jury in the United States that arrests somebody because they're not coming to church. And they say, well, here's an individual that we need to say is guilty of not believing in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we can judge them and say that they are not going to heaven. Well, that's not what a jury does. Instead, a person may be arrested for robbing a bank, and a jury looks at the evidence. And then on the basis of that, they are able to make a judgment as to whether the person properly is going to be going to jail or is said to be innocent. So the judgment of a jury is not the judgment about what Jesus says, do not judge others, because with the judgment you judge, you will also be judged about going to heaven. It's instead, has this person broken a temporal law that we need to examine? So the Jehovah Witnesses, if they really meant what they said, do not understand the distinctions between law and gospel. Uh, imagine, let's say that Jehovah Witness, that his daughter was driving a car and somebody stopped her with a gun, shot her and took the car. Would he say, well, I can't judge that person. I, I can't say whether he's guilty or not. We would hope he would not have that attitude. And therefore, what a jury does, are you guilty of the crime for which you have been arrested? All right, another email, Pastor Baker. I thank God for you and how he continually uses your program to dispel my hopeless doubts and break my legalism. Now, that is very comforting for a pastor to hear because what doubts and legalism is being spoken about? We've said it many times on Law and Gospel that the world thinks you are saved by whether or not you're going to be doing good works, good enough to get you saved. That's called legalism. And the fact of the matter is that the more you hear the law, the third use of the law, namely, here's God's will for you, the more you recognize you fail to obey God's law. And therefore, you have hopeless doubts about whether you're going to be saved. In Christianity, we don't believe that. We don't believe a person is going to heaven because you're good enough to be saved. 
And it's not at all unusual that we pastors receive notes and conversation from members who hear the message of law and gospel and say, you have erased my doubts about whether or not I'm going to heaven. I now know that my works cannot get me to heaven, and therefore it's hopeless for me to do anything in order to get right with God. But because Jesus Christ paid for my sins and the Holy Spirit has given me faith, heaven is my home. So, what the letter writer is asking about is, I'm indeed indebted to your teaching and the renaming of the parables. You rightly distinguish law and gospel and preaching of the word. They've been an illustration of the means of grace. With that said, last night, I was listening to the parable of the rejoicing shepherd and diligent woman. Now, that's my new name for the parable of the lost sheep. He's a rejoicing shepherd. And the diligent woman is the next parable in Luke 15 that talks about a woman who diligently looks for a coin that she has lost. You mentioned something interesting to me. The email goes on. You said there was individuals who wrote booklets, and I would like to find out more information on this. Concordia Publishing House has a number of great booklets on proper, not just interpretation of the parables, but application of the parables. And if you really love to hear good theology, there's a commentary series that Concordia Publishing House is putting out by professors and others who wrote a commentary on the various books of the Bible. And when you open these commentaries and read about the parables, often you get not only the proper interpretation, but the proper application. And so those are available from Concordia Publishing House. All you need to do is you go to cph.org. That's how you do it on the internet. And then there's an opportunity where you can put in the kind of book you're looking for and type in the word parable. And a number of parables books will come up. And some of them are short, some of them are longer, but they will be very helpful in helping you understand the proper application of these parables. Therefore, we not only want you to continue to listen to KFUO, where you can learn a lot of theology, but also to purchase books and pamphlets, and they're available a lot of times. In fact, I myself have a publishing house where I've got about 40 items, and we're only too happy uh, to send them to you. We just sent, what was it, six books 
a woman asked about Jesus being the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Now, the problem is we sent them in October, and by the second week in December, she received them. So there's a, a lot of problems with the post office right now because of the virus, the Christmas rush, where things aren't getting sent as quickly as they used to. But hopefully now that Christmas is over, that is available. And we also ask you to provide funding for Law and Gospel so we can stay on the air. And that funding, the check should be made to Concordia Mission Society. And that will get an income tax deductible letter from the IRS for you. So listen directly after this program and you will hear the address to which you can send a check for law and gospel. We thank you very much for supporting this program. And we continue now on next Monday with taking a look at the importance of understanding law and gospel when it comes to a Bible passage. I'm Tom Baker. Join us Monday at 9.30. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.